1: started hearing about an interesting ministry that was uh, connected to someone that I had loosely known uh, Steve White used to be the executive pastor, I believe it was called over at the Bible chapel just up the road where my my parents were going and started he's now down in Florida though but uh, he's been working at, with a ministry that's reaching around the world through facebook and uh, he'll Describe a little bit more of that coming up here, but uh, I went with him over to Kenya, and we were training pastors together. And he has, uh, he and his organization have now trained uh, 30,000 pastors. I believe is the 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 nearest tick mark now. I'm sure it's higher now, but uh, just an amazing ministry that's really discipling and training up so many pastors, rural pastors that have no access to. formal education for pastors. So I'm going to invite Steve up here, and I believe we have a video to kick off that will kind of explain a little more of his ministry. So glad to have you with us, Pastor Steve.
0: They simply don't have access to the kind of training that would give them the biblical background or the leadership skill set to do the kinds of things that will have the greatest impact for God's kingdom. So at 21C International, we developed a model of training pastors that is accessible to those 95% of the pastors. We create material that is intentionally short. It's intentionally simple, not simplistic, but simple and it's biblically sound. And as we've introduced this material, uh, particularly in East Africa, we're finding some phenomenal success as it resonates deeply with the pastors who have been dying for some kind of support, some kind of training, because they do love the Lord and they do love their churches and they want to be good at what they do. That's where we come in. That's the kind of equipping that we can provide as 21C International. While pastors around the world don't have access to the kind of training they need they do have access to facebook they can access facebook because it's everywhere and there are not language barriers and there is not a fee for using facebook so our model begins with facebook we connect with pastors as they follow our facebook page they get to see posts that introduce them to biblical truth often when these pastors follow us for a while they start to interact with our comments or with our our posts Then they start to message us. That's where we start to develop some personal relationships. It was a blessing to meet Dr. Steve through the Facebook. After that, uh, we start talking and chatting together to know how we can help each other. I thank the Lord because Dr. Steve responded all my questions and uh, make sure that I'm getting the old equipment to help the pastors. At 21C International, we have seen God do some absolutely amazing things beyond anything we could have imagined. As God continues to expand this ministry and provide more and more opportunities, we invite you to be a part of what's going on. This ministry can't happen without more prayer, without more financial support, without you. Thank you for your partnership in the gospel. Well, as Steve said... We had the opportunity together just last month uh, to be in Kenya. We had the opportunity uh, to be in a place called Kibera, where we worked with some with a youth ministry there. Kibera is one of the largest slums in the entire continent of Africa. Uh, we flew from there a little bit farther west into the Rift Valley area where we worked with a group of pastors uh, just There was a lot of really, really amazing things that were happening with that. Uh, And it was just really awesome to have one of our own, uh, Steve, uh, be a part of that. So um, up in the sound booth, uh, there's a second video. We can just go ahead and skip right past that second video. Uh, I think what we saw just now just covers a whole lot of that information in brief what we discovered as we started looking at the international scene for pastors is that 95% of the pastors in the world do not have formal training. Now imagine that that's us. We have an awesome church. Faith Lakeside is just really cool. We love each other. We have an amazing pastor. Pastor Pastor Michael loves us. He loves the Lord. He wants to be a phenomenal pastor, except we're not in the Pittsburgh area, we're in rural Kenya, and this amazing pastor who loves God, loves us, wants to be a great pastor and see us grow in our faith, he has almost no understanding of Scripture. Now, for us, I've heard Pastor Michael speak, you're online Uh, I don't know if anybody told you every week they actually stream you online. Uh, Yeah, strange people like me can stalk you. Um, We know our Pastor Michael is solid biblically. He knows what's there. When when he speaks, we know that he knows what he's talking about because he's studying Scripture. For tens of thousands of pastors in churches around the world, they don't know that. So as we started figuring out that these pastors— they can't afford training, or they can't afford to go find training. They're subsistence farmers. They can't leave their farms long enough to go to a class. And honestly, for most of them, even if you picked up a, a free Bible college and put it in their backyard, they have a third or fourth grade education level. The training that's out there is not accessible to most pastors in the world. It's phenomenal for those who can access it, who have the education or the opportunity. But most pastors will never have that availability. So we created a model that actually works for them. We discovered, ironically, while these pastors do not have access to training, they do have access to Facebook. For me, that's been one of the strangest things traveling around the world. I can go out into the rural Rift Valley area of Kenya, where Steve and I went, and discover that they're pulling out their smartphones. They walk out of their mud hut with their smartphone. They have Facebook because it's free. It's everywhere. And you don't have to have a high education if you can't understand something that's written. You just don't read that post. So our ministry starts on Facebook. Uh, Steve alluded to the fact that we had about 30,000 people. That was a couple of weeks ago. Uh, As of last night, we have 35,000 people that we are serving on Facebook from over 120 countries in this ministry. It starts there, but we know that you can only go so far with a Facebook post. Uh, We engage, we message, we start developing relationships in Facebook Messenger and on the comments. And then we make some connections on the ground, which is what Steve and I were doing. We went to Kenya, and we presented some biblical teaching, and we trained them not how to rely on us to come back again and teach them more. We helped them understand what Scripture says and helped them understand how to create small groups so that it could continue to expand. We start on Facebook. We move to live training. Uh, one of the programs that we have is called our Timothy program because we want them to lead their people. The pastors then, after we're gone, get together with 10 other pastors and spend three months going through the material. The material that we have distributed in is written with them in mind. It's written with their participation so that it's contextualized for a developing world. It's translated into their language. It's short. It's simple. It's built directly for them. So far in the last 18 months, we've had 16,000 copies of this material distributed in nine countries. Uh, And that was, so you, I'm going to let you ask Steve about that some other time. He was there. He was on the ground. The video you saw uh, was while steve and i were over there we had a uh, one of steve's friends a videographer with us who took those. those those are fresh from kenya uh and steve will be able to tell you some phenomenal stories we're hoping to be able to go back again before too long uh so and i'm sure he will he would love to get you praying for him supporting him uh it's it's an amazing amazing ministry we also just kind of as a uh relational nod uh We have Mike and Kathy McCormick with us. They're part of our 21C team. Some of you may recognize them. They are from this church from years ago. They were baptized here. Their family was baptized here. They're kind of home, and it's just kind of fun because now we feel like this is our place too. So we appreciate the opportunity to be here. My wife, Leanne, and I are going to be in the back later if you want to ask a few, some questions about the, the international ministry. Uh, we'd love to talk to you about that, but I'm not going to take the next two-and-a-half hours to do that. I understand it's a two-and-a-half-hour message, right? Or three. Or three. Good, good. They told me that it sometimes went a little long. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> well, I've been a pastor for 28 years. And I've done international ministry on and off during all of that time. And then, of course, for the last about 18 months, I've been fully focused on the international ministry. So you can imagine that I kind of pay attention to the idea of church and what's happening with church and what's going on with church here in the U.S. and what's going on with church around the world. And I was channel surfing the other day, and it struck me, if you channel surf... Have you ever noticed how many church channels there are? Channel after channel after channel are all of these churches that are posting their stuff, and I'm starting to watch. Now, for full disclosure, I was not channel surfing looking for deep inspiration and to find a wonderful church where I would be deeply fed spiritually. Honestly, I was channel surfing because I was looking for something that would be completely brainless and a waste of my time. While I was wasting my time, I ran across all of these church channels, and I started to see all of these cool pictures, all of these churches that are putting their stuff on on television. There's some cool churches out there. There are churches that look sort of like college campuses. There are churches that have taken over entire stadium to worship in. Then, of course, there's the traditional kind of church that just has a little steeple and then, if you travel far enough, there are some really artistic churches. There's this really cool church that's in Iceland. Then, then there's this one in Colombia. A, ch- a church in France. And then we can go from the highly creative to the very basic. There's this church in California. A little bit more traditional. God's people can be flexible. Flexible. There's a church in Asia. There's a church in Africa. Interestingly, no matter where we travel, people associate the concept of church with the place. Now think about that for a minute. As we were looking at all of these different pictures, almost nobody in the room or online went, wait a minute. That's not the church. That's just a building. But the reality is, the church is not the building. When we think of churches, we think of the building, or in the case of Africa, the tree where we gather. We think of the pastors. We think of the programs and the services and all the things that we identify with the organizational side of what we think of as church. But the church is not the programs, The church is not the buildings. As much as it pains me to say it, standing up here, the church is not the pastors and the preaching. The church is the people of God. The church is us. We happen to be in a building. We have pastors, but that's not the church. The church is us. And that's what I want to take some time looking at today. Uh, We're going to be looking at something that Peter wrote, there's this short but just profound passage in 1 Peter. So let me pray for us as we begin the message, uh, and then we're going to look at a passage out of 1 Peter. Father God, thank you for the opportunity to be together. Uh, As I, I realize, we're together from a whole variety of places. We've got guests from other churches, we've got me from another state, we've got people watching online. Wherever we are, we are your followers. We are your church, and we thank you for that. Father, I pray today that you would speak to our hearts. None of us came looking to sit and gain nothing. So, Father, open our hearts. Help us to hear not what I have to say, but what you have to say this morning. And we'll give you the praise for that as you deepen our faith, as you help us to understand who you want us to be as the church. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. So take your Bibles, if you would, turn to 1 Peter. We're going to be in 1 Peter chapter 2. Now, it's hard to say exactly when Peter wrote this letter, but we know that it was right about the time that Nero, the Roman Emperor, was starting to persecute the Christians as a way to deflect blame from his own bad leadership. And Peter wrote this to a group of believers who are in the place that we now think of as modern-day Turkey. Persecution was beginning. Things were starting to get confusing. And he wrote to help them understand how to live their lives in a godly way as the world was increasingly hostile. Now, in the 21st century in America, we can't really say that we're experiencing persecution. But we do know that the culture around us is generally becoming increasingly hostile to the Christian faith. So this was not just relevant in the first century under Nero's persecution. This passage is really important for us now in the 21st century. Starting in verse 9, here's what Peter had to say. He said, But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, now you have received mercy. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that they, though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God in the day that he visits us. Now when you first read this passage, it's kind of fun, right? Right? It's kind of light, it's kind of fluffy, we're chosen, how cool is that? We're special, who doesn't want to be special? We're the bringers of God's wonderful light, that's cool. Those are amazing, they're good things. I don't want to just make light of them, but that's usually where our brain stops. When we dig a little deeper into what Peter's telling us, though, it starts to get a little bit tougher. Now, fortunately, having spent quite a bit of time with Steve, he tells me that we are a brighter than average congregation. So I'm going to go with that, and you're going to have to follow along because this gets deep. There are three core concepts in this passage that tells us what it means that we are the church. And with each of those core concepts, there is a specific Greek word that kind of articulates it. Now, you don't have to understand Greek. We're not going that deep. Uh, But I'll share the word just as a place mark for you. And the idea is, I think, if you're under 30, it's pretty cool you're supposed to get the Greek word written, uh, be tattooed on your, on your forearm, because that's really cool. That way, you don't have to remember what it means or how to pronounce it, but it's your reminder that something cool happened. Now, for those of us who are over 30, I'm not really sure how that works. Um, pretty sure I'm not getting it tattooed. But anyway, what, however you guys want to approach that. These are three key concepts that if we understand them and live them out, we will become, we will be the church that God has in mind. Now, I'm going to kind of outline really quickly the three things, and then I'll come back and flesh them out. The first concepts in verse 9, where Peter says, we are a chosen people. This will be a word that you've probably heard. The word there is ecclesia. It's a word that means... Community, gathering. And Paul's or Peter's point here is that we are a community, specifically, we are a community of people who have put our faith in Christ. In other words, we are a community of the gospel. That's the nature of what we are, ecclesia. Now, in the same verse, he gives us the second concept. He says, We are that, we are. Ecclesia, we are the community of the gospel that we may declare the praises of him who called us out of darkness. The Greek word there is exangelo, to declare, to exclaim. It has to do with the proclamation of the gospel. So we are a community of the gospel so that we can proclaim the gospel. And then down in verse 12, he says that we should live such good lives. And he continues, we have a responsibility to live in a certain way. That word is anastrophen. Again, you're not going to have to remember all the Greek words. It's just a really kind of cool way that we can see how Peter has outlined this passage. An has to do with our lives, the way we live. We are a community of the gospel that needs to be proclaimers of the gospel and that need to live the gospel in front of the people that we live in front of. Those are the three concepts. So let's go back and kind of flesh those out a little bit as we try to figure out what does it mean to be the church. ecclesia. It's a word that's used all the way through the Bible. There's a, there's a Hebrew version in the Old Testament. Again, this has to do with gathering. This is, this is the collection, the community of people. And it's not really an idea that makes a lot of sense to those of us who have a Western mindset in the 21st century. We tend to think about individualism. That's the American thing, right? And we think of our relationship with God and our relationship with the church in terms of that individualism. But that's not the way Scripture describes it. So hang with me here for just a second. Peter refers to us as a chosen people, right? A royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. Now, we like all that stuff. I like being chosen. That's kind of cool. Being royal, also nice. Holy. Okay, that's a little intimidating. But still, it's kind of cool. And it's also very nice to be special. I mean, which of us does not want to be chosen? Royal, special. And those are all amazing things, but we can easily misunderstand because we're reading with our Western mindset each of these four scriptures actually is pulled from the Old Testament when God is talking about his people. Do not miss, as you're looking at this, the indefinite article. Now, if you're an English teacher, you know exactly what I'm talking about. I actually had to look it up. I'm not an English teacher. The letter A, it's called an indefinite article. That one letter in, those senten- in that sentence changes everything about the way we understand what it means to be the community of the gospel. Peter does not say, you are chosen people. He says, you are a chosen people. He does, we, we, we are not a collection of individuals who all get together on a Sunday morning and listen. Listen. We are one chosen people, according to Peter. He does not say, you are all royal priests. He says, you are a royal priesthood. Not holy citizens, but a holy nation. Not people who belong to God, but a people belonging to God. The church is a people gathered as a community. This community is based on our shared profession of faith in Christ. It's a community of the gospel. All of those things are true individually. I do have responsibility individually as a chosen person by God. But the context of the church is not a collection of random individuals. We are one. That's the nature of the church. It's ecclesia. It's the gathering. It's the community. Remember when you were a kid on the playground and they split everybody up and it was time to pick teams to play basketball or whatever we were playing at the time and the captains would pick and, you know, the idea originally was that that the two captains would take turns picking the best players so that the teams would be even and it would be fun and everybody knew it really was just a popularity contest that's not the way it is with God. We are chosen not because we are the best players and God wanted the winning team, nor are we chosen because we are the worst players and God felt sorry for us. We are chosen because it brings God pleasure, because he wanted us to Ephesians 1, 4 says it this way. For he, that's God, chose us in him before the creation of the world. Think that one through. Before God even created everything that we see outside, he chose us to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. Not because he felt badly for us but because it gives Him pleasure to choose us. That kind of changes the way we start to think, doesn't it? We're not just the ones God felt badly for, so He said, come on. He wanted us to be part of His community. And He chose us to give Him pleasure before He even created everything that is. That kind of tends to blow your mind. And he did not choose just one at a time. He chose a people. He chose a community. He didn't take turns going back and forth with somebody else. He chose us to be the church. We are a chosen people. Well, move on a little bit to that next descriptor royal priesthood. Now the world is starting to pay attention, right, to the royal coronation that's coming up with with Charles. Uh, May 6th, for those of you who haven't been paying attention, we crown for the UK a new king. Those who are watching this kind of thing expect more than 300 million people will tune in to watch this coronation. There's something about royalty, isn't there? I mean, we don't have royalty really here in the U.S., not with kings and crowns and, you know, queens and robes and scepters. But it kind of fires the imagination, doesn't it? It'd be kind of fun to be royal. What if, what if I was royal? What if it was my coronation? And that's why we get excited. We just, we, there's something about that. Peter tells us that we are a royal priesthood. And he's drawing from the book of Exodus where God says that his people will be for me a kingdom of priests. One of those passages we don't spend a whole lot of of time on. Now, this would have been shocking to the Jews. We just kind of read right by it. The Jews knew a couple things that we tend to forget. Priests only came from one specific tribe. They had a very clear set of responsibilities, they had a very clear set of privileges, and they only came from one tribe. Not everybody could be a priest, and all the Jews would have known that. Same thing was true with royalty, it was even more limited. For the Jews at this point, royalty was only people who were direct descendants of King David. So if you were... So normal people couldn't be priests. You had to be from a tribe. Even fewer people could be royalty. You had to be from a family. Nobody could be both. The royal family was not part of the tribe of priests, so nobody could be both priest and king. Until now we get to this new covenant with Christ and the gospel where we are now both. As God's chosen people, we are royal and we are priests with all of the privileges. You can preach on that some other time. Good luck. Um, and with all of the responsibilities of both. The priests were the ones who were the mediators between God God. And people. Now, we know we're not the mediators. That's Christ. That's the Holy Spirit. But we are the ones who represent God in the world around us. And we have the responsibility to do that from a position of royalty. We are the children of the king. That's pretty cool. It's also a pretty heavy responsibility. We're both. As this ecclesia, this community of the gospel, we are now royal and we are priests. And as if somehow that's not enough to blow our minds, Peter just sort of keeps going. One of the things that's weird in this passage is he hardly pauses. He just keeps throwing information out there. We're a holy nation. That's not intimidating at all. Earlier in the same letter, Peter said this. He said, just as you are called to be holy, or just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do, for it is written, be holy because I'm holy. Some of us work really hard to be Holy. We create in our minds these lists of things that we should not do so that we can be holy. If we don't do these things, then we're going to be holy. It took me a long time uh, in, in my faith to realize holiness has two sides. Yes, there are things that God says, don't do these things. They're not helpful. They're hurtful. They're sinful. They're damaging. Don't do these things. But when I make my life a list of don't-do things, then I miss out on all of the stuff that is good. We also have things we are supposed to do. He says we're supposed to live holy lifestyle, which means much more than a list of don't-dos. Holiness includes the active pursuit of what is right, not just the active denial of what is wrong. Both have to be a part of it. Now, we're going to come to that in verse 12 in a minute. But for right now, keep in mind, we're this chosen people. We're a royal priesthood, and we're to be holy. In fact, he doesn't say, be holy in this passage. He says, you are holy, which again, we're going to come back to just a little bit. The nice thing with holiness, we can't work for it. We're not going to earn it. It doesn't matter how good we are or how not good we are. Holiness is not something we can attain as humans. It comes from our relationship with God. So, we're God's royal priests. We're his chosen people. We're a holy nation. And he says, we're God's special possession. In doing that, Peter takes us back to the Old Testament. The prophet Malachi says this, On the day I act, says the Lord Almighty, they will be my treasured possessions. I will spare them. Just as a father has compassion and spares his son who serves him. The idea here is that we, as God's people, have a special an intimate relationship with God himself. We are a treasured possession. We are, we are valued children and we serve him not out of a sense of obligation or a sense of i oh, if i don't serve him hard enough i'm you know if i don't work hard enough i'm not going to make it i got to you know i somehow pay back my salvation we serve him out of a sense of joy out of a sense of opportunity we have a personal intimate parental relationship with god himself It's from that, as a father to a son, he says, that we get to serve. Notice he's still talking in the context of community. I don't serve as an individual. We serve as the community of the gospel. We're designed not to be individuals running alone. By design, we are supposed to be part of community. So, After he outlines all of this stuff about Ecclesia, about the community of the gospel, what it means that we are one, he doesn't take a breath. He just keeps going and says, all of that is true. You are, we are a community of the gospel so that we may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. There's a purpose here. We're not just a community of the gospel so we can get together on Sunday and then go home and feel like, okay, got that out of the way. It's good. Man, that went long again. I hope Pastor Michael doesn't bring another guest speaker anymore. I just, I like Pastor Michael. I just, that's, I'm just... We are designed as a community to declare the praises of Christ to a watching world. That's the whole point of being this royal priesthood, about being the special people, about being a holy nation. We have the privilege of pointing a dark, hurting, lost world to Christ. That's what we do. Now, the word in this passage where it says, you may declare the praises, that's the word exangelo. To declare, to exclaim. Back in the medieval times, or even back farther before that, but we can kind of picture with you know, HBO and TV and all that kind of stuff, what the medieval times were, right, were like, right? Where the king would send the herald. And the herald would go out and he would go into the square and he would stand up on the stage and he would unroll this and he would read the decree, the de- declaration from the king, so that everyone would know what the king wanted them to know. That's the image here. We are the heralds. Our job is to exclaim, is to declare verbally, to tell people about God. Again, Peter's pulling from the Old Testament. Isaiah says, forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See, I'm doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? He goes on and says, this is about the people I formed for myself that they may proclaim my praise. This is the new covenant, this new community of the gospel based on our faith in Christ fulfilling all of the stuff that was coming out of the Old Testament. And this is our responsibility that we may proclaim his praise. Exangelo. The idea is... If we don't tell them, how are they going to know? And that, I believe, is increasingly true as the 20th century keeps moving on and people are moving farther and farther away from just the obvious everybody goes to church days. If we don't tell them, how are they going to know? Part of our responsibility is the proclamation of the gospel. Next concept, he just keeps going. Verse 12, he says, "Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day He visits us." There's a lot packed into that one little verse. The part we want to look at is, live such good lives." Back in verse nine, Exangelo, we have a responsibility to proclaim here we're reminded we also have to live a certain kind of godly lifestyle. We are to live our lives in such a way with such honor, with such moral whatever moral stuff happens we 're to be moral we 're to be ethical we 're to be right people who live such good upright lives, that when people look at us, even the ones who accuse us of things, know better. We are to be characterized by our lifestyle. Now, The word good here, good lives, good deeds, it doesn't mean nice. It can include nice, uh, but this is not talking about vaguely being polite, To the checkout team at Giant Eagle. Yes, we should be nice. This is actually talking about moral, ethical, honorable, blameless lifestyle that is obvious to whoever cares to look. Not just sort of little random acts of kindness. This is an overall holistic lifestyle reflecting Christ. Three concepts three Greek words. This is what it means to be the church. We are a community of the gospel. We together are God's people, the church. We have a responsibility to proclaim it. Have you ever seen the bumper sticker? Um, uh, Share Christ always, if necessary, use words. That is not what this says. The idea is kind of cool because, yes, we should be living upright lives. Peter says, okay, forget the if necessary part. Live such good lives and proclaim the gospel. We are called to use words. And those words have to be backed up by our lifestyle. We are called as the community of the gospel to be those who proclaim the gospel in the world around us and live it out in our day-to-day lives. We are more than just a gathering of people who gets together on a Sunday morning and goes home afterwards. We are the church. Well, so here's where it gets strange. Now what? This is the point... Whereas the guy doing the sermon, I'm supposed to say, here are the six things you can do. But the farther I got into this passage, the more I realized all of my ideas were just too small. I kept thinking, all right, so we are the body. So let's get together and let's have a program. Racism is a problem. And the church should be taking the lead in opposing racism because that's just not a godly thing at all. And then I went, okay, so in my default, I just went back to the church should do something. By which I mean Pastor Michael. Well, okay, so if, if political division is a problem, well, then the, the church should step up, shouldn't it? We should step up to fight division or to fight whatever. And I kept coming back to I, the building the programs, the pastor. I'll be honest. I don't know what we're all supposed to do. I do know that it's not the job of the institution. It's the job of the body of Christ. We are to verbally proclaim the gospel. We are to live in such a way that that verbal verbal proclamation carries weight. We are community, not individuals. And that's going to mean something different in every local expression of the body. And it's going to prompt the Holy Spirit in our hearts a little bit differently for each of us. So every time I came up with an idea that, oh, here's my practical app, I'm going to land powerfully. Pastor Michael's going to be so envious with that ending. And everything I came up with was just too small. It was too programmed. It didn't have the body of Christ. So you probably, because we all have the same Holy Spirit, right? As soon as we put our faith in Christ, the Holy Spirit becomes a part of our lives. The Holy Spirit has a lot of jobs in our lives. One of them is to convict us, sometimes to convict us of sin so we repent, sometimes to convict us of things we're supposed to be doing. Chances are you've already got something in your mind. You're going, you know what? I think, and if you're like most people, you're going, "Yeah, know, that sounds hard. I think I should tell Pastor Michael that somebody else should do whatever it is. What is God putting on your heart? Let me read that passage one more time, and then i got a question for you. Peter says, But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, so that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people. Now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, now you have received mercy. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans. That though they accuse you of doing wrong... They may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. So, two questions. What is God right now asking you to do? And, harder question, are you willing to do it? Father, thanks this reminder for most of us about what church is. Church is not the building. It's not the services. It's not where we come to be fed and feel good about ourselves and then go home. Church is us. And as a body, as a community, we have the responsibility to proclaim the gospel and to live the gospel in ways that will be unmistakable in a community, in a world that is increasingly hostile to that gospel. Father, I pray for each of us individually and collectively that you would put on our hearts the things that we should be doing. How do you want us to live this out, Father? Don't let us just hear this, nod a lot, and then go home. How should our lives change? How should this body of your believers change? impact the world and the community that you have put us in. Father, we'll give you praise because once we were not a people and now we are. Once we had not received mercy, but now we have. Father, help us to understand and to appreciate and to live out what it means to be the body of Christ.